What is up and welcome back. My name is Brett Martineau and this is Think Like Me or Don't. More about the box edition. Um, in this episode, I want to just continue sort of talking through this metaphor and the idea, but I really want to provide some clarity, but also just sort of pursue a little bit more. I have, I've been, I've been, I went back and listened after I record because I'm a crazy person. I went back and listened to the episode and it kind of sparked some other thoughts. And I'm kind of liking the way that this is just sort of unfolding in real time. It's kind of fun for me. This may sound weird, but it is. Um, but I wanted to just back up a little bit into what we where I where I wrapped up last time, and then kind of pursue it a little bit further based on the thoughts that I'm having, and then just kind of go from there. So strap in, folks, because here we go, as it were. <laughs> um, the big thing coming out of last week that I was trying to kind of get to is that kind kind of the philosophy of the whole metaphor of the box is that you're in control. You as a person are in control of everything that you let into your box. Meaning, and the to get out of the metaphor, what that means is you don't you're completely in control over what you let affect you. And I don't just mean that in like the sort of overly it's kind of like the the that idea is kind of overdone in the sort of self-help motivation space where it's like you only you can be the one to let somebody else affect you and like make you upset. It's like a choice that you make. I'm actually thinking a little bit deeper and a little bit more systemic than that in the sense that you only you get to decide uh, what you are going to spend your energy on, right? It's It actually has less to do with like self-awareness and more to do with practical energy expenditure, right? You get to decide. And if you choose to leave the, the opening on the top of your box wide open and just take everything, every possible input that comes across your path and you have to deal with everything, you're going to expend a lot of energy. And like the guy in the metaphor, you're just going to end up with a bunch of stuff strewn about your, the inside of your box. And you're not going to really have a clear mechanism for dealing with any of it. You're just going to kind of there's just it, it just gets too unwieldy. It gets too unmanageable, too fast, because there's too much stuff. And the truth is there's, well, as I see it, there are vastly, infinitely more things out there than you will ever have capacity and capability to deal with. So my thought is, why try? Right? And I ended, I think one of the points that I made at the end of the last episode that I want to really get into, and I'm going to dig deeper into towards the middle and the end of this episode, is the idea that you don't have a moral obligation to do anything ever. You, you don't owe anyone ever anything, and nobody owes you anything ever. But you also don't have a moral obligation to do anything. And I think, I think where I'm coming from on this is uh, maybe it's a little bit of a reaction, but I to, to some of the stuff that's happened in the public of late, but like it's, you know, an example of this and, and it's going to be hard, I think for you, the listener to separate what I'm about to say from me. And so it's going to feel like I'm, I'm siding with, I'm putting myself in this argument somehow, which I'm actually not. I think the argument itself personally for me is like, not, it's not what I want to spend my time on. So I don't really care. And also I don't think that I need 
too. But the whole thing around uh, uh, vaccinations for COVID-19, like I'm not even going to go deep into it, but just the just bringing it up, right? You're, you're going to have opinions. You're going to have thoughts on should you be vaccinated? Should you not be vaccinated? Um, and then there's this sort of on top of that, that core fundamental question, there's this um, this other sort of social it's I don't even know what category to put it in with this other like idea that we as a society somehow are morally obligated to like fight against the the a vaccine mandate and then there's like a, a a reaction to that which is no we're morally obligated to keep everybody self safe and everybody should get vaccinated but nobody's really well I'm not going to get into what nobody's really doing my point is that in addition to some other things that have come up in the last probably five years, five to 10 years, there's been a lot of like, if you're not actively fighting this fight, then you're fighting against us, right? Which that in and of itself, I don't have a problem with the idea that that you can take a stance like that and say, I think that anyone who is not doing what I'm doing is against me. That I have no problem with that. What I have a problem with is the grand sweeping moral statements that say it, you have a moral obligation to take up the fight, right? There's some, there's some moral that, that that's the thing, the word, the word moral, the word morals, not that I have a problem with morals, but the, the fact that we think we know what is moral or what is not moral. And we think that we can somehow tell somebody else what's moral. Anyway, we're going to get more into that in a bit. But um but my main I think my main point with this with this box analogy and I really like it because it it I've gotten more into programming like coding um the last coding it just occurred to me that it sounded like I I, I might have been saying I've got, I got really into codeine which is a narcotic. Um I've gotten into coding and something clicked for me when I, when I really started to like dig in deep. And I'm, I'm, when I say dig in deep, I mean in my context, which is like barely scratching the surface. <laughs> but as I've started to get more into it and started to realize that there's something valuable in, and the, anybody who's out there who's a developer who, who's programmed before, this will make more sense. Some of the rest of you, like me, before I started doing this, this might not quite click with you yet, but that's fine. That's the point of the philosophy. The idea in, in programming that you can just define a function and then use the function or uh, define a class and then use the class. Like that's the kind of the point that I'm getting at here. You can, you, you, there's a lot of stuff out there. There's a lot of potential inputs to a, to a program or to a script or to code. And you can either Build your code, or in this case, your box, such that you have to deal with every single individual type of variable that comes in, or you can build it so that you can deal with things using functions. So again, to use to 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 bring that that programming uh, language into it, if I just define a function that says I'm going to go do this thing, then I can write a bunch of code. And anytime I need to do something like that, I, I know what to do because I've already written the code for it. I already did that. I already did that work, right? I've already figured it out. And that's the same thing here with the box. It's like, if we can figure out how to deal with a square, then we don't have to figure out how to deal with the square again because we already did. 
And we just do that. And maybe we'll find out that we that the way we deal with squares doesn't work for X, Y, Z additional parameters on top of what we did before. But, and this brings me to my first point, the long classic Brett, the long roundabout way to the first point. My first point, which is the whole, the whole idea behind the box is that you want to get yourself to a point. I want to get myself to a point where my focus on a day-to-day basis is on, essentially it's on two things, right? I don't, I don't want to have to focus or my energy or my anxiety or anything on all of the things. I want to focus on two things. And these are the two things. I want to focus first on handling things that come across my path using the existing mechanisms or functions that I've already defined. So I, I really like, I really like um, dealing with things that I know how to deal with. Right? I, I get a lot of accomplishment. I get a sense of accomplishment. Out of that. I get a lot of satisfaction out of knowing how to deal with something and then dealing with it using that that process, right? So so it makes me feel good and I like feeling good. And also I get to deal with things. And conversely, I don't like dealing with things that I don't know how to deal with, right? I like learning new things, but that brings me to my next, my the second point. But I, I don't want to, I don't want to have to deal with things that I, that I don't know the, how to deal with, right? Or that, or, and this I think is the more important point, or that I haven't decided that I want to know how to deal with, right? I, I don't, I don't think that I should have to want to deal with everything. I'd rather just deal with the stuff that I want to deal with. And even if I don't know how to deal with it right now, I want to deal with it when I want to deal with it. And I don't think anybody should tell me what to do. I've had uh, several conversations with my dad the last probably five years, and I realized that I get this from him so, so directly because <laughs> I talk with him and everything he, he everything he talks about, it goes back to this idea of, yeah, but don't tell me what to do. And really, nobody should tell anybody what to do. Like, why, why is that something that we think as humans, why is that like a thing to tell other people what to do? You know what I mean? That's a very common... Um, I don't know, fallacious idea um, that somehow we, any one of us knows enough to be able to tell somebody else what to do. Anyway, that's a, that's a rabbit trail that we will not go down. By the way, speaking of rabbit trails that we will not go down, has anybody else ever heard it called rabbit hole instead of rabbit trail? I used to always call it rabbit hole. And then I, I, anyway, I started working with this organization and we say rabbit trails a lot and it, I didn't get it at first, and then I just started adopting it. Now I can't even. Now I never say rabbit hole. Anyway, speaking of the second thing, so the first thing is I want to I want to spend my energy, my daily energy, my in the moment. I want to spend my energy handling stuff that I can handle, that I know how to handle. So basically, I want to use a programming term. I want to spend my day calling functions, right? That I've already defined, or that somebody else has already defined, right? That's another rabbit hole that we won't go down right now. But the second thing that I want to do is spend my energy expanding the existing mechanisms that I have or adding new mechanisms to account for gaps in what I want to be able to deal with. So essentially, I want to A, do deal with things as they come across my plate, issues, conversations, situations, whatever. I want to deal with those in the way that I know how. And then I want to figure out ways to deal with new things. I love learning and I love testing myself and I love not really knowing what I'm doing and getting into new stuff. That's why I 
took up cycling. That's why I took up Muay Thai. That's why I have now taken up programming. That's why I take up, took up music and why I've continued to, to focus on music. That's why I got super into video. That's why I got super into audio. That's why my desk is set up the way, like, that's kind of me. I love getting into new things, but I want to decide what it is. I don't want to be told, okay, go figure this out now, because then I don't want to do it, right? So I want to spend my energy handling, doing the stuff that I have figured out how to do. Essentially, this is what it is. I want to spend my energy doing the stuff that I've already figured out how to do, and then learning new things based on my own desires, the stuff that I want to go do. So nobody tells me, hey, you should go learn how to figure out this, or you should go learn how to deal with this. I decide that, right? Don't don't tell me what I'm supposed to be focused on. Don't tell me what I need to go and spend my energy trying to figure out, because I can do that. That's my call. That's what I do. And nobody else can tell me what to do, right? So that brings me, that brings me into kind of like part two, I guess, um, or just an extension of what we talked about, what I talked about in the last uh, episode. And there were a few things um, that I, when I went back and listened to the episode that I realized I didn't quite clarify very well. So I wanted to do, I wanted to clarify them now because I figure it'll be good to, it's good, it's good to provide clarity. I like providing clarity. Honestly, all I really care about is that if I go and listen to this episode, I want to have said these things. So just go with me on it. So the first thing is, I I don't think I did a good job explaining the benefit of restricting what you let in the box versus just having a mechanism to pass things from the entrance to the exit. Okay. And I want to explain this because this is important. I think it's important to me. And it goes like this. Like in the metaphor, if you remember, you can, uh, the guy just figured out that he, first thing he figured out was there was an exit. And he figured out that he could just let things go. He didn't need things to stay. He, If things came in to the box, circles, triangles, squares, whatever, and he didn't want to deal with them, he could just let them go, right? Um, but but what he learned over time, I didn't really explain this, but so I'm just going to kind of talk through it and not really try and lean on the metaphor too much, is that it takes him energy. It takes some amount of work for him to take something that has come into his box and then put it out of the box, Right? Now, it also takes energy to reprogram the opening, right? You remember, I, 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 he found out later that he could actually change the size and the shape of the opening on the top of the box, meaning he could control what even was let in, right? Now, obviously, it does take some energy and effort to program this top of the box, that opening, to let things in or not let things in, but that's work you only do once, right? It's only effort, you, that effort you only have to expend once until you want to change it. So the the benefit of of constructing your box and the and the entrance to your box in such a way to where it only allows things in that you have decided are allowed in saves you the energy of having to get rid of a bunch of stuff. So practically, uh, this isn't going to be super practical. I'm using that term somewhat tongue in cheek when I, everything I talk about is impractical. That's that's the point of philosophy. <laughs> Uh, sorry, I know I offended all the philosophy the philosophers out there now. Um, a practical term for the or idea with this is somebody wants to talk about a, a subject with you, right? Well, you can either engage in the conversation and then when you decide you don't want it, figure a way out, or you can just not engage in the conversation, right? Or even 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 more abstract, but really more practically, 
when you're in a conversation with somebody and and you think they're wrong, but them being wrong and or you proving that they're wrong is not actually beneficial to either of you, you can choose to not even go there, right? You can choose that you just recognize that in situations where somebody being wrong and not being called down on it has no effect, positive or negative either way, and you just leave it. Right. I, I find I find this is difficult for me, too, but I've found that the more I am OK letting people be wrong because it doesn't hurt anybody and it's not actually a problem to, to continue to exist in a in a wrong state. And partially because I know that half the time I'm probably wrong in the same exact state, um, but it's not relevant. Being wrong or being right in that particular thing for what we're doing right now is not important. So you let it go. You just don't deal with it. You just realize that, well, there's other things that I want to spend my energy on, not that, because that doesn't get me anything and it doesn't get them anything, right? So that, and that's not the best example of that, but that's the idea. There is a benefit to blocking things out completely as opposed to creating mechanisms to just get rid of stuff like consistently. So if you find yourself, you know, engaging in a conversation that you just want to get out of, like stop engaging in that conversation. Don't put yourself in a situation where that conversation is going to come up again, right? Uh, I I know um, for a while. Um, I think I mentioned this in towards the end of the episode that um, I cut off my family for about eight months. Like everyone, I didn't speak to my parents. I didn't speak to any of my siblings, and I have a lot of them. So it was, it's a little bit more like a war than just a, <laughs> a battle to fend off constant. Uh, communication attempts from from that large of a family. Um, but I cut everybody off. And it was predominantly because I didn't want to, I didn't know what I was doing at the time. And it's sort of now I understand more. But I was trying to establish what it is that I actually wanted to be doing. And I didn't want to deal with those conversations right then because they weren't helpful to me. It may have been helpful to somebody else, but I'm not somebody else. And I think that was the thing that I learned sort of intrinsically in that moment is that I don't owe my siblings anything and I don't owe my parents anything and there's nothing anywhere and there's going to be a lot of flack. Yeah, but your parents raised you and you should, I don't owe anyone anything and you don't owe anyone anything. And the sooner you realize that, the sooner you realize that you can close the bo- the lid of the box anytime you want, you can, cl- you can shut out anyone and everyone anytime you want because it's your box it's your box. And regardless of, of whatever else, some you know stru- construed moral sense of whatever you operate under, it's your box and you are responsible for it. And by nature of you being responsible for it, you are also at 100% within your rights to shut the box down anytime you want. And it's actually one of the most healthy things you can do to shut everything out for a short period of time. Because you realize that as soon as you stop listening to other people, you start listening to you. And I think that's that's at the core of this is like, just figure out your own functions, figure out your own mechanisms, figure out your own ways of dealing with things and, and feel okay just shutting everything out for a while because you don't need that. And to be honest, here's the real kicker. The world also doesn't need you doing that. The world will go on. The world will be fine. But when you allow yourself to be distracted, and by the way, more of this is, there is more nuance to this. Just be aware. 
we're, this is going to take about 10 episodes to go through. So we're just getting started. But the world is better off with you focusing on you. Always, across the board, in all situations. The world is better off when you focus on you. Just make yourself healthy. Period. Just make yourself healthy. And just be, be figure out what you want to do. And if what you want to do is, is deal with everything all at once, that's fine. That's you. But, but there's, a, there's a consistent, and I'm probably speaking from my own experience and like putting that on everybody else in the world. So I, I apologize if I'm doing that to you. But I suspect that more often than not, this is the case. We take on all this stuff and we hold on to it because we think that we're supposed to. And I'm telling you, you don't owe anyone anything. All right, so let's move on because I'm just going to keep saying that over and over again and I'm going to bore myself. So the other thing that I that I that I didn't really say um, that I wanted to um, that I wanted to bring up kind of is kind of related to that first point, but it's focusing your energy over controlling what gets into your box versus focusing your energy on what's swirling around outside your box. And this one, I think, I think, also kind of goes back to this idea of like the social construct right now where there's just a lot of things happening in the world and everybody what i feel like and this is an oversimplification but what i feel like is that is that people in general think that they need to have an opinion on everything in order to be people i i don't know why everybody it, it feels it feels like and again i'm kind of general overgeneralizing just because of what what i see but it feels like as a as a general rule there's just a lot of opinion having out there. And like we form an opinion because we feel like we need to have an opinion. You don't need to have an opinion. You don't have a moral obligation to have an opinion about anything. And there's nothing wrong with having an opinion either. <laughs> it's just sometimes we form opinions for the wrong reasons. And I know this because I've done it. And I still do it. And I find myself consistently frustrated with, you know, these 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 situations I find myself in, but it's only because I, I decided that I needed to have this opinion. And then it takes me down a road of having to defend that opinion to somebody else. And, but, but I don't really care about it. So now I'm in this situation where we got to have a debate, you know, or at least there's this, this perception of a debate. All of we, all of this is just expended energy and it's not productive or useful or helpful to anybody. This idea that like, we have to come up with our own opinions. You know what I mean? Like, are you anti-vaxxer or are you going to get vaccinated? Right. Well, the, the question is wrong. Are you anti-vaxxer or are you going to get vaccinated? Right. The, <laughs> the question is flawed. And I don't care. I don't, I don't care because I am already isolating myself. I actually prefer to be isolated. I don't talk to people. I don't go outside. I don't interact with humans. Right. And whether or not that's even, my point is actually not that that's like the equivalent of a vaccination. My point is I'm not concerned about the vaccine right now. I'm not concerned about that conversation. And I don't have to be. And that's it. And you know what? If you think that I should, and it bothers you that I should, then that's fine. That doesn't mean that you're right. And it also doesn't mean that I'm right. And I'm not trying to say that I am right. I'm just saying, leave me alone about it. I'm going to choose what I'm going to do, and you're going to choose what you're going to do. And that's it. Or don't. Or don't leave me alone about it. But just know that I am in control over what is what comes into my box. 
So if I'm not, if I don't want to have a conversation, don't want to have a fight with somebody about whether or not I should get vaccinated or not, or what their opinions are, or what somebody else's opinions are, I'm just not going to engage. And I'm allowed to do that. That's, I think that's my point. That's my mechanism. The, the entry, the entrance to my box does not allow for those types of conversations. And obviously I zeroed in on something very specific and I, I want I cannot stress this enough. I have zero dog in any fight as it, as it relates to pretty much anything politically charged, but specifically the, the vaccination debate. Um, I think people should get vaccinated, which is seems hypocritical because I'm not vaccinated and I probably won't get vaccinated anytime soon, but like, or don't get back. You know what I mean? That's my point. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter. And I don't think you have a moral obligation to, to make a decision or choose one, something, choose something in one direction or another. Right. And I, and that I think brings me at least in my own, twisted sense of uh, logical flow. And, and what I mean by that is the way that I wrote stuff down in my little notebook that I'm reading from uh, brings me to, I think, probably the biggest question, the biggest sticking point I would suspect that people are going to have that you likely have as a listener to what I said in my last episode, which actually is what I want to really, really dig into. And I'm probably this is what I'm going to spend the next like six episodes talking about, which is why am I so obsessed with this this idea that we do not have any moral obligations? Because that that seems that seems pretty morally relativistic, which a lot of people, even those that aren't necessarily like religious or have any sort of um, specific, I'm going to say the word moral compass, but I don't mean that people are amoral. I just mean most people are like, no, there is a right and wrong. That, that tends to be the general idea. Um, and I'm actually not disagreeing with that, that there is a right and wrong. What, I, what I'm saying very specifically, and I, I believe this very, very strongly, is that we none of us have a moral obligation to do anything ever. There is no universal moral obligation. That's my, that's my hypothesis. That's my premise. And I, I want to kind of feel that out because I, I haven't exhausted all the possible ways of looking at this. So I kind of want to do it live. I have thought I've written a bunch of stuff down and I've thought about it a lot over the past 30 years, 35 years of my life. Um, but just cause I've thought about it a bunch doesn't make me right. It's just, that's, that's my opinion right now. So, but let's look into this. Cause I think it's, I think it's important not to just make grand sweeping statements, but to like, this is why I think this, this is, this is where I'm coming from. When I say we have no moral obligation to do anything ever, because uh, I know that it sounds like, oh, well, there's no, there is no morality. There's no right or wrong. So just do whatever you want. Right. It's, and it's, it's really nuanced and it's hard because I am saying, yeah, just do whatever you want. And I'm saying there's no moral obligation to do anything, but I'm not actually saying there's no right or wrong. In a, in a very general sense, I'm saying you don't know what's right or wrong. And I don't know what's right or wrong. And nobody knows what's right or wrong because it's not knowable. Right. And that sounds like, <laughs> that sounds like like a like a like a Catholic approach to don't ask questions, right? But I'm actually speaking scientifically. It's not knowable because a moral obligation implies there's a direct inference of universality. Moral obligation means that every human being ought to do the thing that you're saying. If you say I, you have a moral obligation to drink eight cups of water. What that means is to not drink eight cups of water for every human, for everything, for every person, 
of from all time and all the way into the future and everywhere else where humans might exist to not drink eight glasses of water in every situation with every possible combination of variables to not drink eight glasses of water is wrong, right? It's wrong in all of those situations, okay? Now, it might be true that it's wrong. It might be true that there you have a moral obligation to drink eight glasses of water, but the reason why I have a problem with us saying that is because we are not physically capable of counting all of the possible variations and all of the possible situations and all of the possible different ways that it could play out for every situation, for every person, for every moment in time across the entire universe. So we can't know because we can't, we can't catalog all that data. There's not, there's not a computer that's fast enough. And if there was, here's the problem. Space and time, as far as we know, is infinite in both directions, in all directions, actually, which means even if we had a computer that was, that was powerful enough to compute all of the points in space currently, uh, and let, let's actually just make this easier for the, the I'm going to say math, not that I'm any good at math, but the quote unquote math. Let's just say the universe is finite. We're just in a big sphere. Right, So let's say we could plot out every point in space, right? plot it out. And there's a computer that's powerful enough to plot out every point in space. And then that computer, we add a little uh, 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 bonus structure on it, which says, this computer is now capable of plotting out every possible combination of variables for every point in space. Okay, So now it's possible to actually do all of that stuff. So now we get into uh, another problem. So now we have a computer that has plotted out every point in space, and it's actually, on top of that, plotted out every possible variation of that point across all the... And what I'm talking about is like, I have a, there's a notebook in front of me. So this, this computer would, in addition to every other thing across the entire universe, it would plot out that a notebook is sitting here, but it would plot out every possible color of the notebook, every possible size of the notebook, every possible page number of pages that I've already written in it, every possible number of pages that I wrote in ink versus in pencil, like all that, all the different variables, right? For every space, every point in space. The problem is, unless we, we've already, we've already put ourselves in a, in a, in a, in a fantasy world by saying we, we've made the assumption that the universe is finite, which we can't, we can't actually, we can't actually say that because we, well, let me just explain the next part because then it'll make sense why we can't do that. We, if we could do that, if we could, if we could, if it was possible to plot every point in space and every possible variation for every point in space in a computer, that's fine. Except if we now look at the time variation and we look one, whatever the smallest fraction of time that we can identify backwards and forwards, and we keep doing that. Unless we also identify that there is a finite beginning and a finite end of time, it will we aren't we still aren't physically capable of actually calculating all of those points in time, points in space across all the points in time. Because even though we have established a finite space, there's there's infinite time 
that we have to look at. So we can't actually know because we'd have to find the beginning of time and we have to find the end of time. And then let's back ourselves into reality. We'd also have to find the end of space. Okay, now that gets a little abstract, right? It gets to the point where it's like, well, that's not really practical. That's not really realistic. But the problem is when you try when you try to establish a moral extreme, like a moral absolute, you also take on the responsibility of proving that across every moment, across every point in space and time. Because otherwise, it can't be considered universal. Because universal, by definition, implies everywhere and for all time. Right? Now, you, you, could, you could also make the, the claim, the very dangerous claim, that it's not all time and all places. Right? It's just that's what it, that's what it is here. But then you have to ask yourself, well, who is who then is the arbiter of what is right and wrong in the different places? Is there like a is there like a priest or a person somewhere that like decides for this little realm, you know, like for example, for this earth as opposed to the rest of the cosmos, this is what morality is. So then what if we go to Mars? Well, then you might say, well, that okay, so this solar system. Okay, well, what if we go to the next solar system? Is morality somehow different? Does morality change because you move from place to place? Because doesn't that fly in the face of the definition of morality and of, of the idea of a moral obligation? I think that it does. I think it does because to be for something to be moral, for something to be a moral obligation, I think it needs to be universal. Uh, I think it needs to be universal. Sorry, I'm, I'm getting really impassioned, emblazoned here. I think I think that for something to be considered a true moral obligation, or uh, for something to be considered a, a a moral framework, like in order for it to be a moral framework, something that's that deals in that sort of absolute, I feel like it needs to achieve three different goals. Okay, I think the first one is I've already spoken to it, but it's applicability. Right. So so that means it needs to be universal in its applicability, meaning the the more the rule. The, the do this versus do that, the this is right and that is wrong, it needs to be universally applicable. Meaning it, it needs to require that the list of, and the, I wrote this down, this is going to get a little, this is when I write stuff down like this, I get a little like overly scientific. I use that term in massive air quotes because I don't, anyway. It, for, for something to be considered universally applicable, it requires that the list of outcomes Iterating the above list of, or iterating over the list of possibilities where the moral obligation is not applicable, that list needs to be, needs to consist of, not, of, of nothing, essentially. So, essentially, if you were to look at every point in space and time, like I said before, you would need to find, you need to look at all of them first. And then you would need to be able to identify that of all the spaces, places in space and time that you looked and observed, the rule was true in all of them, right? So, so even I mean, let's think about this practically. So let's let's not talk about the cosmos or every point in space and time. Let's talk about um, the state of Arizona for the last ten years. Okay, so if if 
if you were able to survey every person, every citizen that, that well, every person, I should say, that lived in the state of Arizona in the last 10 years, so from 2010 to 20, what is it, 2021? 2010 to 2020. If you were to, if you were able to survey every single person in the state of Arizona for the last 10 years that lived in the state of Arizona for the last 10 years, and we'll take the range out of it and just say, if they lived there, we're going to talk to them all right now. And you were able to come up with some rule that correctly and universally applied to all of them based on you know their own personal circumstances, based on their upbringing, all, everything. You take all that stuff into consideration, you have this massive data pool, and you say, for these people, this is true. It is good to this. It is bad to this. I think, number one, I think it's impossible. I, I have very, very little. Uh, um, and I'm, by the way, I'm not saying ask those people what they would do. What I'm saying is if you were to come up with a rule, for example, drinking eight, hour, eight ounces of glass, eight, eight ounces of glass, my gosh, eight glasses of water or eight, eight ounce glasses of water a day. Let's say that's the thing we're trying to prove. You would have to go and, and examine every single person that's lived in Arizona for the last 10 years, and it would have to be true for all of them that it is right for them to drink eight, ounce of, eight ounces of glasses a day and that it is wrong for them not to, and they would need to be held accountable. They would need to be, there's this word that I don't really know how to say, but this accountability, ability, <laughs> which essentially means like, You'd have to be able to hold them accountable for that, not in a legal sense, but in a moral sense, right? It would have to it would have to make sense to hold somebody accountable morally for that thing, and it would have to make sense to a hold to hold every single one of them accountable to the same thing. And the point I'm getting at, which I'm sorry for being so obtuse about, is that I, I don't think you could find I don't think you could find a small enough subset of people where the same exact interpretation of a rule would apply in the same way across them because everybody has their own their own more their own upbringing their own past their own history right so you as an arb this and i think this also comes to the point you as an arbiter of good and bad if we put you in that role you would have to and it would have to make sense you would have to say anybody who did not does not or did not follow this rule is wrong or bad, we have to put them in that category, and anybody who does is, right? And eight ounces of, of, eight glasses of water a day is a ridiculous example, obviously, but think about something else, right? Like it's, it. this one I was gonna, I'm gonna get so much crap for it, but like hitting a woman, right? I don't know if you've heard the, the um, oh shoot, no, I can't remember, the Bill Burr sketch about hitting a woman, right? He talks about this today, he's like, I'm not saying hit a woman, but the idea that it's never okay to hit a woman, never okay to hit a woman, it's never, ever, ever okay to hit a woman, never, right? But, but, and his point obviously is that like, it's, he's not advocating hitting women and he doesn't hit women and I don't hit women and I'm, I'm also not advocating that, but it's foolish and naive to say it's never, ever, ever okay to do this. Or to do that. Now, there are some where it becomes more difficult to, to argue that. But I stand firmly by the idea that until you can actually establish a universal moral uh, imperative, 
one that truly, you know, that you could sit down and you could, you could in good conscience and that it would make sense apply to everyone across the board, knowing their, knowing full well their, their circumstances and knowing everything about them. I think you would be very hard pressed to find anything where that actually fits. And it's hard because there's some stuff that we would consider even not from a religious standpoint, but just from a, again, lowercase moral standpoint. We, we, there's things we would all consider that most of us listening to this would consider wrong. And there's some things that we would probably mostly agree on are right. But when we start to examine more than just what we've had the time and the, the capacity to experience, we are inevitably introduced to situations where what we thought was true is a little bit more complicated than we thought it was. And I think that's the core of my point, is that when we only look at what's right in front of us, it's easy for us to establish these universal principles, right? And this is going to get ironic too, because I've talked, I just got done talking about, put yourself in your box, just live in your lane. Just shut off the box if you don't, if you don't want to deal with other things, right? And, I, and it actually makes perfect sense because if you deal with your box and you only deal with your box, then what's happening outside your box doesn't matter. And you're not concerned with moral extremes. You're not concerned with, with moral uh, uh, absolutes. You're concerned with, what do I need to do in my box to deal with this square? That's enough. You got enough on your plate just dealing with the square that's right in front of you. Why would you be dealing with, is this the right thing for everyone everywhere? Right? Don't, we don't need to worry about that. The question is just, is this what I should be doing right now with this thing that's in front of me and not expand, not extend that to anybody else and not even look to see what somebody else is trying to do in their box unless they invite you in and say, hey, what do you do with this? How do you deal with this? And, and that does also mean that, you know, when in social situations, when it's when without trying, you just sort of happen to peek inside someone's box and you notice that they handle squares differently than you do. You know, they, they put the triangle, uh, they, they round out the corners and they put it into a circle, which is different than what you do. You don't step in and try and make some sort of, uh, uh, make them change the way they do things to be more like the way you do things, because you're operating in your own little box and they're operating in their own little box. And if they invite you in and they say, hey, I do this thing with triangles, what do you do? And you show them what you do, that's it. That's enough. That's it. You don't need to try and get them to do it your way, and they don't need to try and get you to do it their way, because that's not the point. The point is to deal with the triangles and the circles that come in that are in front of you. Deal with your stuff, okay? So the second thing, um, and uh, the second thing that I think is required for something to be considered morally universal or a moral absolute is a, is that thing of accountable ability right? You have to be able to hold people accountable to it. And I think for that, as, as I see it, again, this is how I think, as I see it, it has to be something that you don't have to teach, right? In order for someone to be held accountable for something, they have to understand it, right? I think that's, it's hard for me to say that, oh, I think everybody would agree, but, but I, th I think as I understand the definition of accountability and the understanding of under, uh, the definition of universality, you can't be held accountable really for something you don't understand for something you didn't know. 
So it feels like whatever you're going to decide is a moral universal or a moral obligation, it needs to be something that everyone always, everywhere, for all time, both in past and present and future, intuits naturally without being told. Because otherwise, how, how is that fair? To be held morally responsible for something that you just didn't know. Right? If I told you that, well, it's you're you're morally responsible to be to be drinking eight out eight glasses eight glasses of water every day and you only drank seven, sorry, we have to give you the moral consequences now, but you you didn't know. That doesn't make any sense. Right? So I so I feel like for it to be universal, you have to you have and why I say accountable ability is because you need to be able to be held accountable universally, meaning everybody always, everywhere, needs to be held accountable to that thing. And in order for that to make any sense at all, as I see it, it has to be intuitable. And as I see that, meaning you you, you already know. Like, you don't have to say it. Nobody has to teach it to you. You just know. And everybody, everybody agrees always because they intuited it, right? They didn't have to be taught it. It was just a thing. Right. So that's the first, that's the second thing. And the third one is um the third one the third one I think it fits in with the other two but it can sometimes get lost in like the weeds of choice. But it's but as I see it universal accomplishability. Meaning everyone, everyone everywhere through all time has to be able to do it, right? Like they have to be able to do it. Because again, if somebody's, how can you hold somebody accountable morally for something they are not able to do? Now that one, you can get into some nuance because <clears throat> it's hard to establish what it means to be able to do something, right? To be capable of doing something. But if let's just say we could establish that and we could say, this is what the criteria is for, or the criteria are, if you will, for being able to, for, for accomplishability, for something being, being able to be accomplished by someone, you'd have to be able to prove that and show that for every person everywhere for all time in order for it to be universal. Now, the, the interesting thing, and I'm going to wrap up with this thought because I haven't really fleshed this one out, but I just want to, that's kind of, I kind of like that idea of like finishing on something that I don't have fully fleshed out. And then I think about it and then we can pick up from there. As I was thinking about this, I, I started thinking, well, what if what if we what if we took universal out of it? <clears throat> right? So I still believe if you're gonna try and make something universal, all that stuff has to apply. It has to be it has to the the moral uh the moral um rule has to work in every situation, always for everyone ever, both past, present, and future. Everyone needs to be held accountable and be able to be held accountable, and it needs to be able to be done. But, but what if we don't, what if we take universal off the table? What if we just, what if, what if everything does become relative? Well, what, what's the, the effect of that? What's the consequence of everything being somewhat relative? And we say, well, in this situation, this is how the rule is applied. And in a different situation, a different rule would be applied, right? And maybe it's not even so much about trying to define the rule at all, but rather trying to define the severity of the quote unquote consequence right most of the time moral consequences are equated with religious consequences you'll burn in fire 
in hellfire forever, right? If you don't, if you don't do the right thing. But what, what if it was, what if it was not, what if that wasn't the idea? What if there was this idea that like mitigating, cir- maybe there was a rule, right? Like we have laws in the United States or mo- in most countries there's laws, but then there's this idea of mitigating circumstances, right? So if you go to, co- if, you, if you break the law and you go to, you go to jail, you go to court um, and they're trying to prove it, what happens sometimes is you will get a lesser sentence because of what the defense can prove as what's called mitigating circumstances, meaning this is the, the things that made it harder for the person to not do the thing that they did. I mean, I'm oversimplifying, but that's essentially what it is. So what if what if in this moral realm, there's such a thing as 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 mitigating circumstances? And I have this this thought in my head of a of a severity coefficient, right? So how can how can mitigating circumstances have an effect on the quote unquote goodness or badness of a particular action? So you know if the if the rule is don't hit women, that's always the rule. But is there a situation when the the application of that from a moral perspective is lessened because of the circumstances? Maybe, I guess. But what, what that introduces and what scares me about that is that that makes the math, for me, incomprehensible. Because that means that somebody somewhere is in control of levers that are based on an algorithm that is so universally complex that we have no chance of understanding it which means we necessarily have to rely on somebody else who does or some interpretation of whatever computer is computing the data. And that puts us kind of back where we are, which is we don't know, right? It could be that there is some sort of moral rule and there are uh, mitigating circumstances that can, that can lessen the severity of whatever the moral consequence of the action is. But that seems just as implausible as there being no moral absolutes at all. Now, it's hard to intuit that whole idea because we, we are, you know, a lot of us are raised in a sort of Judeo-Christian uh, God is good uh, culture. And so there's the idea of saying, well, there is no moral absolute. There's just, you know, you just sort of do the best you can. That can be difficult because it seems to fly in the face of saying that they're believing in a God. I don't actually think that it does. I think what it does actually is it puts, here's the heretic in me coming out. So be, be warned. I think it puts God in his place or its place or her place. Because here's, here, I guess this is my, this is part of the ultimate um, thing, part of my ultimate philosophy is that morality supersedes God. If there is a God, if there is some sort of benevolent force in the universe that's personified in that way, morality has to supersede it or him or her, which is, can be trippy for religious people. Meaning there's something, there's something above God. There has to be. Because the very definition of a god, or the very def- definition of that type of morality, is that it has to be, it has to be universal. 
right? It can't just change because the past is already there. And in reality, and we're not going to get into this too deep right now because I, I want to build to this. I didn't actually think that I was going to build to this, but I feel like now I have to. The, the truth is, philosophically speaking, we've already done, like the past is already written and it's already done. It's already happened. But in reality, every possible variation of the past has also already happened. And by extension, every possible variation of the future has already happened also, which means we've already done all the good things. We've already done all the bad things based on whatever, whatever moral architecture you've decided to construct. So back, back to my, back to the box example, even though it seems like it's super philosophical and abstract, I find it to be the absolute most practical way of approaching a, a day in the life of Brett is to identify what I want to deal with in the world, come up with and implement mechanisms to deal with those things on a day-to-day basis, and then find new ways to deal with new inputs and new things, create new mechanisms, define new functions, to deal with new things that I want to go and figure out, and I ignore everything else. And that's basically it, right? That's the that's the the core of it. Now, like I said, I've got six or seven more episodes worth of picking apart some of those some of those pieces. But essentially, that's what it comes down to. And that's that's why I say, and I firmly believe, there's no moral obligation to do anything, right? You just do you. It's the only actual practical thing, the only actual practical way to live your life, and not just expend energy after just limitless amounts of your own energy that you never get back just worrying about everything. Just, just If you just worry about what you let into your life, you worry about dealing with the stuff that you've already let into your life and the stuff that you're okay with letting in your life, and then to whatever extent you want, come up with new ways to deal with new types of things and then get rid of and ignore everything else, that's the only way that I've found that I can at least be satisfied with the life that I'm living. Because everything else just seems too gloomy. It seems too impossible. It seems too grandiose of a task. And I'm not about that. I don't, I'm not going to be here forever. And I want to enjoy the time that I have here. And I want to do something. I want to accomplish something. And I feel like if I waste all of my energy worrying about all of the things that I could be worrying about, it won't leave any time for accomplishment. So yeah. That's kind of that. Um, hopefully I haven't put you to sleep. Or maybe I hopefully I have. You know, at least I will have done some good. Maybe I'll relax you a little bit. I can, I can turn on the deep voice and get up close to the mic and speak very soothingly and calmly. Your eyes are getting very heavy. And now you're going to find yourself in a golden meadow. I don't know where I'm going with this. <laughs> Anyway, uh, I hope you uh, got something out of that. Hopefully, at least it sparked some thoughts, some ideas. Like I said, if you have uh, questions or comments, you think I'm totally wrong, you want to argue with me about it, whatever, hit me up on all the socials. If you have my phone number, text me. If you have my email, email me. If not, at Brettward James on all the, the platforms. This is Think Like Me or Don't. We'll catch you next time.